buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. Hey, before we start today's episode, I wanted to bring you in on the best kept secret in B2B sales. If you're serious about social selling and your only strategy is cold DMs through LinkedIn, you're missing the mark big time. Learn how a fully managed revenue generating podcast can change your life and your pipeline at salescast.co. All right. Welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. Today, I've got an awesome guest for you. I've got Graham Collins. He is the, well, he's the chief of staff, but also referred to as the resident sales nerd over at Quotapath, where he helps sales leaders and reps understand their compensation. Prior to that, he's led sales and SDR teams at several SaaS companies. He's passionate about sales compensation, SDR work, sales management, craft beer, woodworking, and petting dogs. Graham, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, Colin. Well, I feel like I know you so much better after reading that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all true. All true. Yeah. You always wonder if somebody's a cat person or a dog person. Rarely do you find somebody that's both. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm firmly in the dog camp. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm firmly in the dog camp. Yeah. So, so am I, so am I, what kind of, uh, what kind of dog or dogs do you have? Yeah. We have two, uh, Australian <clears throat> cattle dog mixes. They're both kind of mutts, got some German shepherds, some mm. border collie, but blue healer, red healer. They're just kind of a generic Texas dog. Yeah. Lots of energy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, one five years old and and can't stop running. So, oh wow, yeah, we've we we had two boxers before before we had kids, and then we had to find them new homes because it was just too much. Yeah, um, and we couldn't give them the attention that they needed, and uh, and so now we have a little mini labradoodle. So there you good go. good family dog, but. Yeah, for sure. This is not the dog podcast, um, but anyway, uh, Graham, welcome to the show. Give us a little bit of background. Like, where did your sales journey start before you were able to own the title of resident sales nerd over at Quotapath? Yeah, for sure. So I, I started in sales um, working at a shoe store in Maine. I grew up and currently live in Maine. And uh, I worked at a family-owned shoe store selling shoes uh-huh. and earned commission off of it. I was earning oh, wow. 10% or so commission off of, off of every pair of shoes I sold. And so Ugg season was one of my very favorite uh, times oh, yeah. of the year. It's how I paid for all my Christmas presents growing up. So um, did that. And then 
after college, I went to a little business school called Babson College in Wellesley, Mass. Um, after that, got into the SaaS game, um, kind of fell into it. It was the first job that gave me an offer. And, and they said, hey, we, we think you can make $65,000 this year. And I said, well, that's infinity money um, in you know to a 22-year-old. So took that job, full sales cycle, um, AE, and then moved into management after a while and uh, just just never looked back, I suppose. Yeah. Wow. Shoe sales. So you got your start in shoe sales. That's right. Fam- family business. Um, not my okay. family. Not my okay. family. Another family. Okay. Yeah. This okay. was the, uh, okay. it was called, it's called Lamey Wellahan and, uh, mm-hmm. in Maine. So shout out to Lamey Wellahan. Okay. All right. Got it. Not your family, just to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just a family. Uh, uh, you know, when you said shoe sales, it reminds me of, uh, do you remember Ed Bundy? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I got the Ed Bundy, uh, yeah, a lot, uh, when, when selling shoes. Did you have, did you ever, you know, he always had a hard time with the women's shoes, you know, some getting, getting some of those shoes on. It was mostly, you know, mostly what I sold was Uggs, Crocs, and then old people's shoes and kids' shoes. And that yeah. the, I knew, you know, from way back, I, I've always known how to maximize the amount of money that I make in sales. And, yeah. you know, you're selling $160 pairs of Uggs. They're, they're easy. You can crank through them quickly. The sizing is kind of wash, wishy-washy. So you can say, mm-hmm. oh, you're a seven. We'll give you an eight or a six. And, uh, you know, make 16 bucks in, in one pair of Uggs in 10 minutes. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Um, and so then what was your first, what was your first sales job in, in, in SAS as a full cycle? Yeah. So, um, worked for a company that sold into the public relations department. It was a company called my media info, which is not a, okay. not a great company name, but that was, I was only there for a short period of time before they were acquired by Thomson Reuters. Uh, so then oh, I worked okay. at Thomson Reuters for a period of time. And then my division of Thomson Reuters was spun off to NASDAQ. So I ended up working at, at NASDAQ uh, for a period of time before I said, all right, that's enough big company for me. I need to get back into the, into the startup world. Yeah. What is it that you prefer about startup versus big company? And, and it's funny. People talk about startups. There are a lot of different stages in startups. Yeah. My, my favorite is, so I was the 10th employee at a company called Trendkite. Um, after I left NASDAQ, I was the fourth employee at Quota Path. I, it's, it's just, you feel like you can make much more of a, a difference at, at a mm. large, at a smaller company. I had a LinkedIn post a while back about my employee number at, uh, at NASDAQ. And that's how I had to log into everything. That's how I like, I would be identified by that number. Um, and that's just not the case at, at startups. And everything you do can have a 10x impact in the long run at a startup. Whereas, you know, I remember one time at NASDAQ, the, CEO or the VP of sales or somebody sent out an email that about how if every single person made one more dial every day, like what a gigantic impact that would have on the business. And I'm like, I don't care about that. I don't care about one extra dial times the 500 or thousand sales reps. That doesn't mean anything to me. And so, you know, I'm more interested in each person on the sales team on a five person sales team making a hundred extra dials and, and the, the impact that you see there. Yeah. 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 I got it. Yeah. So, and then when did you, when did you start to get into to sales leadership? At, at Trendkite. So I, okay. I joined there as an individual contributor, but knew that I was always interested in management. Um, stepped into the dreaded player coach role for, uh, mm. for about 18 months, which is just a nightmare. I, I swear yeah. that is one of the worst still, roles. Still very know. common though, especially in oh, startups, right? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a necessary evil a lot of the time because it doesn't make sense to hire 
a VP of sales just to lead a three person sales team. And so, um, yeah, so I did, I did the the player coach model for about a year and a half, um, and then moved over to the sales development organization. So ran a, a SDR team, um, built that team from, it was about six when I joined, grew it to about 45. So I had four managers and 40 reps underneath me by the time I left. Got it. Okay. So I want to dig into the player coach, um, you know, the yeah. dreaded player coach yeah. role. It fucking sucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, we, 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 we totally are getting what you're throwing down there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Message received. Uh, no, no rainbows in pots of gold. <laughs> this no, is not where that's definitely going. Not. Definitely um, not. How, what, what advice do you have for people just through your own experience of, you know, a necessary evil of playing the player coach role to survive that? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And part of it, other, comes than, down to, other than don't do it. Yeah, no, 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 I mean, it's a necessary evil. You got to do it sometimes. And so I'm yeah. not, I'm not faulting people. And if you're in that role right now, God bless you. But, um, <clears throat> It's, it's all about allocating your time and allocating your resources and defining what your job is. Uh, and so I talk about this. I actually had a conversation with somebody uh, earlier this morning at 830 this morning. I had somebody in London who needed help with a compensation plan, a player coach compensation plan. And there are two major and now we're getting into compensation plans, but there are two major ways to, to play to pay player coaches. One way is to say this is your entire team quota. It includes every person on your team and some for you, you get paid the same amount no matter who closes a deal. You get paid 3% on every deal. If you close it entirely, it's the same as one of your reps. The alternative is to say you have your own quota, then you have your team quota. You get paid 10% on deals you close, you get paid 2% on deals your your team closes. That and one so- can be tricky, right? That one can be tricky um, because that player coach is kind of like, eh, where's my time better spent? Yep. Closing, closing my own deals. Or helping my team close deals or supporting my team so they can close more deals. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's the major issue there is you're competing against your own reps. And and that was the plan that I had for a long period of time and really struggled with. There were a lot of times where my team might hit quota because I was helping them close all of their deals. And you know, my team quota might have been $100,000 and my team sold $100,000, but I did, didn't earn a ton because... I personally didn't close any deals because I was spending 100% of my time on on coaching and not doing my own sales. And so my my piece of advice is to figure out what your job is. Is your job to be a full-time coach, um, you know, part-time salesperson, or is it to, to split your time 50-50 or even 60-40? And so for people out there building those comp plans, I would recommend the the first one that I mentioned. It's expensive. It can be very expensive. But if, if your long-term plan is for this person to be a, a sales leader... That's the option for you. I think that <clears throat> I think that it really depends on you know what they're working towards, right? Is and uh, I'm curious. This is another thing that you know comes up a lot. Is you know um, transitioning from from IC to to sales leader, right? And yeah. you mentioned that you always kind of knew you wanted to go into management. Not every IC is cut out for that. A lot of times you see top producer promoted to manager and it's a disaster. Um, were you a top producer or kind of where were you in the pack and what made you feel that management was for you and that was a good move? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's n- not often a good idea to take your very top producer and, and make them a manager. It's also not a good idea to take your bottom producer and make them a manager. So 
For I was obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, for obvious reasons. Yeah, I, I was always a proficient seller. Yeah, I, I, 75th percentile, 80th percentile. I'm not, I'm above average, but I'm not the best seller on the floor uh, by any means. So I think that you called it out there. Oftentimes people say, oh, you know, Sally's the best seller on the floor. Well, let's make her a manager. Um, she can teach everybody else how to be the, the, the best seller. Um, and Oftentimes, Sally, that's what she's come to expect through working in sales, because people think of that. That is the yeah. only way up the, the chain of command. And Sally gets into a, a management role and sucks at it. And yeah, because Sally thinks that everybody should sell like Sally. Yeah, exactly. And, and oftentimes what it becomes is Sally has a team of, of reps, but she's just closing all their deals for them. And she's running all the demos. She's sitting in on all of those. And she's effectively closing all of those deals. And all of the reps are saying, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a great sale, a seller because I'm, I'm hitting all of my quotas. But in actuality, Sally goes on vacation for two weeks and all of a sudden nobody's nobody's doing anything. So mm. I, I knew that I was a proficient seller, but much better coach. Um, those who can't do uh, teach. Right. So I, I suppose it's sort of kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I think, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head. You're, you know, above average, you know, proficient, great sellers typically make better managers, um, than, than your, your, your top producers. Um, and you obviously wouldn't take your lowest producer for, for obvious right. reasons, but most people think the obvious choice is your top performer should become manager. And, and, and there's, for whatever reason, I don't understand why people still think that, um, right. you know, there's a lot yeah. of people that have seen that not work out and it'd be a recipe for disaster, but you still hear of it happening all of the time. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's just pure laziness from like the top where it's like, rather than go out and find the right person or, or, um, you know, they just think like, Oh, you know, we have this person, let's just repurpose them into this role. Right. You and know? I think a lot yeah. of it as well is that, those top producers think that that is the next step for them. And so if they get passed over for somebody who's not a, as good of a producer, they say, what the hell? Like, I'm the number one rep. Why wouldn't you put me into the management position? Not realizing that I make way, way less money than my top performer uh, all the time. My top performers always made more money than I did. And that, and so I think that, that people think that, it's about you know, the amount of money you're going to make or what's inevitable. But what it really comes down to is what motivates you and what you care about. And for me, I care more about the people around me succeeding than me individually succeeding. And that's not a, you know, I'm not, not a pariah. I'm not being selfless. Like, of course, that's what makes me money. But and it's not selfish to be the other way. That's just as important. And so I, I think that the people re don't realize that being a, a sales leader is not a inevitability and it's not a super fun task and you don't make way more money than everybody else. Yeah. I mean, that is probably, I mean, I think that we need to be telling people need to hear that message more <laughs> to yeah. be like, Oh, you know, just cause I'm great at sales doesn't mean I have to manage a team. Um, there's, you know, other ways to, you know, other career paths. Maybe it's getting into enterprise sales. Maybe it's, 
you know, time to move on to a different company where there's more opportunity, bigger deals, um, where you can, you know, apply skills and maybe level up what you do. Um, there's lots of options, but all right. I want to go back to something you mentioned, cause I think it's important, right? You talked about, um, we spent a lot of time here on this player coach, but it's because I think that, you know, something we haven't talked about a lot and, and I feel it's pretty important and it's relevant to a lot of people that are either in that position or thinking, Hey, I need to go to leadership or maybe they're an IC that has somebody that's a player coach and have seen, you know, some of the issues around that. So, um, we talked about the different comp plans, right. That you were talking about with somebody. It's like, Hey, you get, you know, higher percentage on your own deals, um, or, and you get a percentage off of your team deals. And it's really puts people in a tough position of how to split their time. Um, but, I hadn't really thought of, heard this as, as much as the alternative is like, Hey, you get the same off of your deals as you do off your team deals. And so tell me a little bit more about that and, and what your thoughts are. And do you feel that's a better option? And if not, if, if, if not, why not? And if so, you know, break it down a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I generally think that's a better option. Um, there is a downside to it and it's that mm. your deals oftentimes are much more expensive that way. Because if a like and by your deals, I mean the, the company's deals. So if Sally, because we're, we're talking about Sally, the manager here, if she closes a deal herself, well, the company only has to pay out her rate. They only have to pay out three percent on that because it's a deal for her team. Whereas if John closes a deal, John reports up to Sally, they have to pay John 10 percent and Sally three percent. And so now this is a 13 percent deal. Whereas, hey, if, if Sally had just worked it, then, then whatever. And so what you often see is people encouraging the, the, the manager to work the larger, more complex, more valuable deals because the finance team is happy. They don't have to pay out as much. Um, but on the flip side, what Sally does is there's no incentive for Sally to close a deal. She doesn't have any incentive to do all of the the shitty work, you know, the, the follow-up emails and the proof of concept and all that stuff. So what she does is she just kicks a deal over to, over to John. She gets a good demo request. She says, Hey, John, join this demo. I'll pass the opportunity over to you. You can run it. You can handle it, but I'll do a lot of the work. And so again, that's where you have, where you have that, that conflict where it's like, well, but then is John actually learning? And did John actually hit his quota? Because he, because Sally closed a deal for him. Um, so there, there is some nuance. It's not always the best option, but Nine times out of 10, that's what I recommend for organizations. Yeah. I mean, there really is no perfect solution, I think, for that player coach role. Um, but I had a sneaking suspicion that uh, that was your preferred comp plan yeah. in that situation. And I think, I don't think there's a lot, maybe you you might know this better than me, obviously, because you're the resident sales nerd and you talk and speak comp plans all day. Um it, how many people are doing it that way versus the other? Or, you know, do you have an idea or sense? Um, well, more people, the more people I talk to, the more people do it that way. Um, <laughs> it's, it is becoming more common um, in early organizations. Like mm -hmm. I'm talking to the VP of sales who has their own quota and two reps. Um, and they know they're going to become the true VP of sales, build out a team of, of 20 sales reps. That's where you more often see it, where you have a target and that target is one point five million dollars this year. Now, with your current headcount, you can't hit that. And so it actually also involves hiring and training and scaling up those reps. And so that's more often where we see it in a 
in an organization where you know, you're you're one of four managers and you just get promoted into this team lead role. That's where it's actually less common, um, where you generally still hold your own book um, or hold your own bag. And also you're compensated for your your reps. So what I always say is it depends on what you're, you're hoping to get out of this. If you want to scale this person up, if you start them with one rep, um, each rep takes about, you know, say 20 percent of your time. Um, and so if you start with one rep, well, that person takes up 20% of your time. Your quota is reduced by 20%, but you're still held to 80% of your own quota. That's added to your reps quota. That's your total team quota. But as you add reps, it actually phases out. And so by the time you have five reps, all of a sudden your team quota is just the sum of your all of your reps because right. you're you're dedicating all of your time to coaching those five reps. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a if everything works out perfectly, that's how it should transition. Right. Right. Yeah. Problem is it doesn't always work out so yeah. perfectly. That's, that's, exactly <laughs> right. that's exactly right. And so, I mean, I, I think that, that, you know, to, to answer your question short in a quick way, it's much more common to have the style where you hold your own quota, but yes. it's becoming more and more common to have just a total overall team quota. Based on how many people you talk to about this way of yeah. thinking, <laughs> which is a lot I've done. Yeah. Pushing 400 comp consults where I sit down with Whew. prospective customers or current in what customers. in what uh, time period? That's since since probably the beginning of 2020. So we're at a year and <clears throat> or no, two two and a half years. So it's definitely yeah. uh, you know not quite one a day, but it there in January January of this year I did more than any. I think I did probably. 45 or 50 in January this year. And that's because yeah. it was all the people who went, Oh shit, we don't have a comp plan for this year. And I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. And so they book some time with me, grab some time. We talk through it and we, we yeah. uh, figure out a comp plan for them. So sales reps, if you ever see Graham out, you know, uh, definitely grab him a coffee because he's the one building your comp plans. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I fight for salespeople. I fight for salespeople all the time. I, my three rules of comp plans are that they have to be simple, logical, yeah. and fair. And that fair is, is one for, for my, for my sales reps where simple is probably the most challenging one for a lot of larger organizations, right? Like, yep. I don't know how many reps that I've talked to that just like, don't even understand their comp plan. Yeah. Oh, I see 25, 30, 35 page comp plans. And I'm Ooh. like, well, how could this be so many words? How like this? There's no reason to include this many words. So, yeah, it's it's definitely challenging. Yeah, and <clears throat> so I'd love to get your pick your brain a little bit on just like what are some of the new, newer, more innovative things that people are thinking about? You know, in the realm of comp plans, like you know, how are people you know putting comp plans together differently today than they were maybe in previously years or how are they making them more simple, more fair? And what was the last logical. You know, and more logical yeah. um, than, than previously? Yeah. So um, one thing is, is actually just kind of a structural change that we're seeing is usage based or consumption based pricing. And with that comes a whole other layer of, of complexity of compensation where I sign a customer, you know, you imagine I'm a, a corporate credit card company. I sign a customer. They don't pay us anything. You know, we, we use a corporate credit card company. We don't pay anything for it. Yeah. They make their money off of the transaction fees. And so me as, a, as an AE, I close a deal. 
well, what do I get paid there? And and do I have to wait the entire year to see what the spend was? And so that's something that, that a lot of people are really struggling with. Um, and that's more of just pricing models nowadays. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- even think about like, you know, cloud storage or server yeah. usage where, you know, customer could get signed and, you know, they're just a little itty bitty startup and then get around to funding and poof, their business... <laughs> blows up and the comp plan was never built around usage. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, you're absolutely right. That's, that's one of the ways that one of the things that people are having to realize and, uh, or very inconsistent spend throughout the course of the year, you have e-commerce where black Friday may represent 25% of your sales for the entire year. Well, mm. how do you compensate for that? When I close a deal in January and I'm not going to get paid for that until November, all the work that I did in, until November. So um, that's that's one that's that's become a challenge. Um, I have some some thoughts on that. I don't know if we have time to cover all of my thoughts on uh, usage based, but um, give give us a couple things. give us a couple thoughts. Yeah. yeah. So the the two kind of pure ways of compensating usage based are on true usage. So I sign a customer, and then I get paid for everything that they do for the first twelve months. That's Right, because it pays mm-hmm. them exactly how much the, the customer uses. The issue with that is it takes a full year to see all of that. And so what that means is it can take up to a full year to ramp your reps up because they have to build this book of business. They also then are responsible for account management or they're not. And then there's animosity there. Um, so that one is is good and bad. And you're going to see a theme here. All of them are good and bad. Uh, all compensation plans. Uh, the opposite side is based entirely off of an estimate. I say, hey, the customer told me they're going to spend a million dollars this year. So great. I get paid 10% of a million dollars. And obviously the, the good thing is, well, I wipe my hands of it and then I'm done and I move on to the next deal and I don't have to wait a full year and I, I, I'm able to ramp quickly. The downside is what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong on that estimate? What if they spend yeah. $500 or what if they spend $10 million? Then I'm, you know, I'm either side is going to be bitter unless they spend exactly a million dollars. So, so it's sort of adjustable based on there's like, Hey, here's a guesstimate. I'm going to get paid sort of on that guesstimate. And then there's got to be some parameters like, Hey, are we on track based on this estimate or not? Yep. That's exactly right. And so, so I generally recommend something in between, you know, maybe it's, you sign a new logo and you get a bonus for signing a new logo. And then you get paid a small, smaller percentage yeah. over the course of the year. Or maybe you get paid for the first six months or the first three months. Um, or one of our one of my my uh, friends that I worked with on this, they have different uh, unlock different locks on this. So they close a the deal. They estimate a million dollars. As soon as the deal is closed, you get paid a little bit of that commission. And then yeah. as soon as they start spending, you know, as soon as this customer starts spending, you get a little bit more. And then as soon as they hit 50% of that spend, you get a little bit more. And then as soon as they hit 75%, you get all the rest of it. So kind of unlocking and, and then, Hey, if they never hit 75%, well, you didn't get any, you, you only got the, the first allotment. So, yeah. Okay. That's a very interesting use case. So a lot of our listeners are, you know, in SaaS, B2B SaaS, like yeah. what are some things you're seeing with those comp plans? You know, what are kind of a lot of similarities, I'm sure you've seen some not so good comp plans versus oh, yeah. better comp plans. Um, can you give us some examples? Yeah, for sure. So the couple of things that I'm seeing recently, I haven't seen a capped commission plan in a long time, 
which That's I'm good. very happy about. <laughs> if you Google capped commission, I, I'm either number one or number two result is a blog post that I wrote about it where it says, should I ever cap my commissions? First line is short answer, no. <laughs> and so then, it, you know, of course, it, it, it goes into exactly why. But cap commissions, haven't seen that in a while. Wonderful. Um, another thing that I'm, I've seen less and less of are cliffs. The idea that you have to hit 50 or 70 or I've seen 100% of your quota in order to unlock any of your commission. Um, I'm seeing less and less of those, which is also wonderful. I love I love that we're, we're no longer seeing those. I'm fine with decelerators, but saying somebody, hey, you hit 48% of your quota and so you don't earn a dime, seems kind of kind of wrong to me. Again, I fight for for the salespeople. Um, so that's that's one um, that I'm, I'm a big fan of. Uh, I, I love accelerators as well. I see a lot of accelerators out there. About 80% of the, the comp plans that we have in, in our app uh, include an accelerator. And, and I think that's the way that it should be. Yeah. Now you, you often hear a lot about, you know, sales reps signing up for a gig based on OT, right? And then they get into the gig and, you know, what they were sort of promised or, you know, as the OT, like they never make that or not even close to it. Um, why is that? Do you think it has something to do with the comp plans? Like, is there, is, is there an issue with the way these comp plans are built? Um, or, you know, are they not simple enough for them to understand? Like uh, there's, there's definitely some relation to comp plans. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, for sure. So part of the, the inflating OTEs feels like keeping up with the Joneses. You know, I, my current OTE may be $200,000 and then somebody comes knocking on my door and says, Hey, I'll give you a $250 OTE, a $250,000 OTE. Like, Hey, why not make another 50 grand a year? Well, but maybe I'm actually earning 200 in my current gig and I'd only earn 190 going into mm -hmm. this other company. And so it's easy to attract talent because a lot of people don't ask the right questions when discussing OTE. Um, what is average quota attainment? What is your, your average rep earning? Now, no salespeople thinks, think of themselves as average. Um, so that's an easy one. You know, hey, well, the average rep is on a 200K OTE earning 180, um, but that's the average. And, you know, our top performers are earning 240 or, or what have you. And so these are things that, that reps should be asking, but it's also things that recruiters should know and, and hiring managers should know because that can be an advantage for you. Hearing that and being able to say that and rattle that off is is an is an advantage for you because then you say, well, go ask the other company, a company offering you two fifty. Are they? Yeah. What's their average attainment? What's their average compensation? Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I'm I'm gonna make a guess here, but a lot of these comp plans kind of hard to pull it off on Google Sheets, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so if somebody does need help with their comp plan, yeah. maybe wants to be your 401st <laughs> uh, comp plan consultation, uh, where might they do that? Yeah, of course. Uh, quotapath.com. Um, so on, on quotapath.com, the top there's a resources section. Um, and in there, there's a bunch of blog posts that I've written. I wrote, I, I continue to write a lot of blog posts on this stuff. Um, but then also there is a, a the compensation. I think it's called compensation plan strategy session, maybe. Um, but you can book time with me there. Um, and then, of course, while you're at it, Quotapath helps automate the commission process. 
Awesome. We'll drop the link there in the show notes. Uh, Graham, any final thoughts before we let you go here? No, I'm good. I feel like I, we covered a lot here. Everything from from player coach to consumption based uh, comp plans. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot for people to, uh, this might be one they might need to listen to more than once. And, uh, and if you didn't listen to the episode, um, with AJ, they can go back and check that out as well. He was on the show recently. So appreciate you coming on today. If you enjoyed the episode, please, please write us a review on whatever podcast platform you're on. It really does help us out to reach more sellers that are looking to transform the way that they sell. And also if you have any feedback, we're always listening for your feedback. You can go to salestransformation.fm drop us your feedback there and we will get back to you. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad and I might even give you free access to our best templates.